Uh, 1 Timothy chapter 6. Uh, now, while you're looking there, um, I thought I'd take the opportunity to just let folks know that uh, Southland Baptist Bible Institute is looking at running the Life of Christ elective, uh, starting this term, if we can get enough folks. Now, we've had some folks express interest, but not yet enough uh, to kick the class off. So there is a fee involved. It's $50 that covers curriculum and administration. Uh, so if anyone's interested in that, uh, please, please let me know. Uh, it's, I've done the course myself. I teach it now. It, it's a real blessing. Uh, so that, that may be starting this term, if we can get enough folks. So please let me know. All right, 1 Timothy chapter 6. Uh, we're going to be looking tonight at a warning given by the Apostle Paul uh, to Timothy under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit and preserved for us because it was not just for Timothy. It was for us all. And the Bible reads this. Look down in verse 20. It says this. It says, O Timothy... Keep that which is committed to thy trust, avoiding profane and vain babblings and oppositions of science falsely so called, which some professing have erred concerning the faith. Grace be with thee. Amen. Note that phrase there, opposition of science falsely so called. Put not your faith in science. Let's pray. We give you thanks, our Lord and our God, for this good day that you have given us to come and gather in your house. Lord, we thank you for the, the hymns that we uh, got to sing tonight, Lord. We look forward to the day that we sing before you in heaven for eternity, Lord God. We ask that for your help now as your word is preached. We pray you'd bless it to our, to our hearing, Lord, and commit it to our doing, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Oppositions of science falsely so called. Put not your faith in science. Now, when you or I hear the word science, it conjures up for us a bunch of different mental images, uh, which it really wouldn't have for Paul when he wrote this. Uh, we think of people in white lab coats with glasses and computers. Uh, we think of people who systematically test things and compile knowledge. Uh, but for Paul, really, the only thing that would have stuck out there on that would be the compiling of knowledge. The word science here is the Greek word knowledge, people who know stuff. And Paul gives this warning to Timothy. He says, you are going to be opposed by those claiming the mantle of science, the mantle of knowledge. Uh, he said, uh, but it is knowledge falsely so-called. What they say they know is actually not so. It is science, but it is science falsely so-called. It claims to be knowledge, but it isn't. Put not your faith in science. Now, I remember when we had a few door-knocking weekends here years ago, uh, and I remember two replies that stood out to me on the door. One of them was a guy that, before we could even say anything, like, no, no, I'm Catholic, I don't want it, and off he walked. And he knew whatever we were peddling, it wasn't good news for Catholicism, and he was right. Uh, the second one that stood out to me was the other bloke that said, no, no, no thanks, mate, uh, I believe in science. I believe in science. Now, it occurred to me as he shut that door that he saw science as a body of proven knowledge, and anything else was just unbelievable. And to him, he'd actually made his choice. He had placed his faith in science. Now, he didn't strike me as the kind of chap that I had met at the University of Queensland when I did my Bachelor of Science. He didn't strike me as an extensive reader of scientific journals. Uh, but he had manifestly placed his faith in those people and whatever they were telling him. He had put his faith in science. He may not have looked into it closely, but he knew, look, there's a lot of smart guys out there. They've they're, they got white coats. They really know what's going on. And he placed his faith in them instead of in God. And this is a very common error made by men in the Western world. Uh, and I, I will say this, I, as someone who has studied science, and I, I chose to study it because I enjoyed it. And I still do. I teach it to students now, to this day. 
The scientific method has yielded many benefits for us. Many benefits. It was formalized in the West by men who believed in God. A God of order and consistency. They figured, look, if God's that ordered and God's that consistent and he built the universe according to a set of rules after his own nature, then it only stood to reason that we could probably uncover what that is. Formerly, people had sort of said, well, that happened. He got sick. He died. Gods must be angry. Uh, I, I get, well, you know, bad luck, old son. Uh, should have made more offerings. Whereas they were like, well, no, maybe there's something behind this. Let's see if we can find out. Let, let, let's, let's put some things to the test and just expect that if we can do it once and then we can do it over and over again, hey, maybe we've discovered one of God's laws, one of God's rules here. Uh, they expected God to be consistent in nature. So the early scientists would do this. They would try something and they would write down exactly how they did it and they would look for a consistent outcome that either proved what they thought or disproved what they had assumed. Uh, and then what they thought they were onto something, well, you'd take down your list of instructions that you'd written on how to do this thing, and then send it to your mates. And if all your mates wrote back and said, didn't work for me, well, you're like, ah, oh, all right, I guess maybe I'm not onto something. Maybe something's gone wrong with my equipment or my instructions. But if they all said, hey, we can get the exact same thing, we can repeat this consistently, well, now you were onto something. And because you'd written it down, you could look at other things that other people had tried and consistently done, and you could really start to build somewhere. Uh, and what we find when men did that was we got a vast amount of technological advancement in a very short period of time, men compiling knowledge. And if that sounds good to you, it should. It is good. It's excellent. God told us to take dominion of the earth. If you do some research, do some experiments, and you find some new medicine, some new farming technique, or some way to communicate or to travel, well, that's a blessing. That's good. It's the proper use of knowledge. Uh, science that translates visibly into technology is very credible. The core of the scientific method is testing, checking to make sure you're correct, disproving other ideas by putting them to the test and disregarding them if they cannot meet that test. And when it comes to technology, uh, this is extremely reliable. However, in no way does that credibility spill over to many of the other claims of science. It does not. In the same way that if I am very good at kicking a football, it does not necessarily follow that because I have that skill, I am now very skilled in the matter of economics or of construction. And what science tries to do is it tries to say, we're the ones that gave you that technology, which you can see. And then they say, now, because you can believe it's there, we want you to believe us when we start to tell you things that can't be tested that can't be tried over and over again. We try to tell you things about what happened back then or things about human nature and who humans are. They try to take that credibility and it operates under credibility that it does not deserve. It is science, but falsely so-called. Now, the chap that dismissed me at the door had this vague idea that somehow the guys who put the man on the moon and made him computers could also be trusted when they told him what happened 6,000 years ago or 6 million. But one is a scientific claim and the other is manifestly a faith claim. It cannot be tested. It does not follow the scientific method. Put not your faith in science. It is not worthy of your trust in it. Now, put your hand up if you're here tonight and you've ever heard of this, this experiment. The experiment where they put a kid in a room with a pair of marshmallows. Has anyone ever heard of that experiment? And they told him, mate, when we come back, if you haven't eaten the marshmallows, uh, then we'll, we'll give you a double. And some kids could do it, and other kids just, you know, straight in, straight in. And then they followed the outcomes of those students over the next 20 years. A lot of you just put your hand up. You've all heard of it. It is not so. 
It is not true. It has been disproven. Somebody went ahead and redid that experiment with a broader number of human beings, and they traced them for the same period of time, and they found that that did not hold. Now, if you've heard that in this church, it was probably me. I probably used it as an illustration in a sermon, because I love reading research. I love reading studies. It fascinates me. But somebody actually put that to the test and replicated it. And I've got to say, hats off to those chaps for doing it, because it takes a lot of money and time and dedication to say, right, in 20 years' time, I'm either going to look like a genius or all I'm going to say is, yeah, he was right. Uh, but somebody, somebody went ahead and did that. And what that kicked off in science is what is currently known, and you can go home and tap it into Google, type in the replication crisis in science the replication crisis. Someone recognized that the sheer bulk of scientific studies being published in peer-reviewed journals meant that they couldn't possibly all have been tested to see if they replicate. There was a fair bit of just trust that the guy said, yep, yep, we did this, this, we got this outcome. And because of the sheer quantity of them all, well, nobody could test them all. Uh, indeed, because of the cost of some of them, some of them cost millions of dollars to carry out. Now, if you don't really believe him, they say, well, sure, you go do yours. Do you have a few million bucks to blow on a scientific experiment? I know I don't. But if you want to make a big name in science, you either need to make a really incredible discovery or you need to take down somebody else that has and disprove them, and that'll get you a big name. So these guys are like, you know what? Let's just pick out a bunch of studies that have been done that have more than 1,000 references from other journals referencing this study, and let's just repeat it. Let's just try it again, see what we get, see what we have here. And the results were fascinating. In some fields, particularly psychology, only somewhere about half of the studies they tried could even be replicated. Now, the heart of the science got, obviously, with things like physics and aeronautics. If you're wrong there, people are going to discover when the plane comes out of the sky. But even in fields like medicine, there was times where they just could not get it to replicate. Somewhere in the area of half of them couldn't replicate. Now, of those, uh, some of them, they found the effect was stronger than they'd said. Others, they found that there was an effect, but it was much weaker than they said. And others, there was simply no effect at all. It just didn't work. They then went back to the chaps that had been doing the experiments and said, can you do them again? Do your own experiment again. And only half the time could they get their own results the second time that they did it. Now, does this invalidate everything about science? No, but it did kick off a whole stack of questions for some people about what they were taking for granted in science. Somebody, the studies show, well, do they? And the answer was, well, no. Now, back in the day when your mates would write you little instructions on simple things, it was quite easy. But now there's thousands of fields of science and great amounts of depth that you need to go into to understand it. Now, having been at university, I have seen the scientists all attack each other. You know, they, they have scientists in their field that they love, and then they have other guys that they think are mongrels. Uh, and they, they rip at each other, and they write thing, awful things about each other's uh, research. And it, it can be quite difficult to follow, particularly if you're like, all right, I want to find out who's right. Then you start reading it, and you realize, I need a whole stack of expertise of their lingo to even know where to go here. But there's a reason it's called the replication crisis, because it's brought into question for a lot of them what are we trusting here? What are we trusting here? Does this invalidate everything about science? No, but it just shows us what it is. Science is a human tool, and it is operated by humans. And like everything designed by humans and operated by humans, sometimes it works great, and sometimes it fails you bitterly. Some people are using it 
genuinely and are genuinely interested in using it well, other people have an entirely different agenda behind why they use it and what they do. But it is no stable, sure, and certain rock. It is no foundation in which to place your faith. And scientists would tell you this themselves when they're not on the defensive. They would say, well, you know, science advances by disproving the bloke that came before you. Uh, and that's a, that's a feature, not a bug. They'd say it's a good thing. And that is a good thing. But do you wish to place all your faith in something that advances by being constantly told it is not correct now? I mean, I, put not your faith in science. It is human. It is all too human. The famous scientist Max Planck said this, and he wasn't upset about it. He said, a new scientific truth does not triumph by convincing its opponents and making them see the light, but rather because its opponents eventually die and a new generation grows up that is familiar with it. An important scientific innovation rarely makes its way by gradually winning over and converting its opponents. It rarely happens that Saul becomes Paul. What does happen is that the opponents gradually die out and that, growing, that the growing generations familiarize with the ideas from the beginning. Another instance of the fact that the future lies with the youth. Does that strike you as something that you can be consistently sure and certain about for the future? It shouldn't. I remember being in a psychology lecture at university. I had to do a few electives alongside my science degree or my science courses, so I thought, I'll, I'll do psychology. I'll go, I'll go study this, see what they got. And I remember one last popped a hand in the air for the lecturer, and she said, what was the scientific discovery that convinced the science fraternity, the psychological fraternity, uh, to remove the classification of homosexuality as a mental illness? She's like, what was the, what was the research? Uh, and he said, oh... Look, if you really want to know, um, the, the American Psychological Association was having a conference in San Francisco in the 70s, and a whole stack of activists basically crashed the joint and declared war on them uh, and said, you need to change it. And the next year, the DSMV, or DS, it wasn't V then, uh, this, the Bible of Psychology, if you've ever heard of it, it's called the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders, up to its fifth edition. Well, they just changed it the next year. They just pulled that out. Uh, that, that there was just too much heat. He said, "Not really. There wasn't really a wasn't really a study. Obviously, you know, he said they did the right thing. It was great that they did that. Uh, but he knew that the reason that had changed was not some cold advance of science. It was a bunch of blokes that didn't like the heat and thought, all right, this isn't worth it. And that was the end of it for them. Um, a bunch of people caving to social pressure to rewrite a textbook. Science is all too human." All too human. Now, if you're younger tonight, this might seem hard to believe, but the older you get, the more you find things that people told you when you were younger were sure and certain, and then you find out later on they, they really weren't so certain and they shouldn't have been certain. Uh, I remember reading the, the scholar C.S. Lewis. He described this happening just in a professional matter. He was a professor of English, and they would often study old English writings. Uh, and he said this, he said, I have learned in other fields of study how transitory the assured results of modern scholarship may be, how soon the scholarship ceases to be modern. He said, there used to be English scholars who were prepared to cut up Henry VI between half a dozen authors and assign his share to each. We don't do that now. When I was a boy, one would have been laughed at for supposing there had been a real Homer. The disintegrators seem to have triumphed forever, but Homer is now creeping back. Even the belief of the ancient Greeks that the Mycenaeans were their ancestors and spoke Greek has now been surprisingly supported. We may without disgrace believe in a historical Arthur. Everywhere there has been a vigorous growth of skepticism about skepticism itself. Nor can a man of my age ever forget how suddenly and completely the philosophy of his youth felt. 
And he goes off to list a bunch of men who were big names when he was a boy in the field of English. He said, McTaggart, Green, Boscanet, Bradley seemed enthroned forever. They went down as suddenly as the Bastille. And the interesting thing is, while I lived under their dynasty, I felt various difficulties and objections, which I never dared to express. They were so frightfully obvious that I felt sure they must be mere misunderstandings. The great men could not have made such very elementary mistakes as those which my objections applied. But very similar objections, put though, no doubt, far more cogently than I could have put them, were among the criticisms which finally prevailed. If anyone present tonight has felt the same shy and tentative doubts about the great scientific biblical critics, perhaps he need not feel quite certain that they are only his stupidity. They may have a future that he little dreams of. He realized these things don't last forever. He'd just seen it through the process of time. That which was so certain in his youth was not in his age. Science has given us many good things. Technology may be wonderful, but as an entire belief system, science is a constantly changing, adapting, and correcting human process, and it is not worthy of your faith. In contrast, what God has committed to you is worthy of your faith. It is not ever-changing. It is not based on shifting human words and shifting human opinions. Our verse started out tonight, O Timothy, keep that which is committed to thy trust. What was committed to Timothy's trust? Paul told him in that same book, 1 Timothy 1.11 says, according to the glorious gospel of the blessed God which was committed to my trust. The gospel does not change and has not changed. The men and women you meet are sinners, every one of them, and that hasn't changed and that won't change. God sent Jesus Christ to earth to die to pay for every last one of their sins, and that has not changed and that will not change. And if you put your faith in him, then you get his spirit and he takes your sins and that will never change. You will one day die and you will stand before God in one of two situations. One is where he apportions you your rewards as his child. The other is where he reportions you your rewards as a sinner. And that has not changed and that will not change. It's coming. Put not your faith in science. Place your faith in the God who has saved you and in the God who has committed to your trust the gospel. He doesn't commit to you changing things. He gives you permanent, eternal things that apply to you and every human you meet. Put your faith in him. And yes, you'll get opposition from what it describes here as vain talkers and babblers. You'll get oppositions from folks with science falsely so-called. And, and they know stuff, man. I mean, and if the stuff that they tell you happens to be wrong later on, they won't be lining up to come back to you and say, well, you know, that stuff I told you is proven to be wrong. Uh, so your ideas intrigue me and I would like to subscribe to your newsletter now. That never comes. They, they just pick up whatever is now the newest and latest and greatest thing that they can use as a shield to say, take your God and what he thinks of my sin away from me. I do not wish to believe it. You don't need to get worried when you're talking to them because you say, I don't have a scientific background. I do have a scientific background. I can count on one hand the number of people that were genuinely interested in sitting down and looking at what the Bible has to say and comparing it to science. Precious few. Precious few. They want to throw that out there, but the, real, the second they realize, oh, you actually want to play that game, then they want to switch and say, oh, yeah, so uh, what, about, what about when Christians weren't very nice to people of other races? Uh, the, the, it, it just shifts. But what I found with all of them that you can talk about is the gospel. 
You're a sinner. Even the biggest believer in science, he knows he does that and says that which he ought not. And you can start there. It never changes. The second you start talking about sin and repentance and what it means to follow Christ, then you'll discover what's really driving the bus, put not your faith in science. And some people will say that, well, look, I, I hear what you're saying, but I really don't want to look stupid in front of other people. Uh, so I was hoping, you know, that there's a way that we could take some of what God said and then we could take what scientists are currently saying now and hopefully there's a way we can sort of stick that together in a way that we can still have the God stuff but just not look foolish in, in the eyes of these people currently. Uh, and men have been trying to do that for millennia. Millennia. Now, back in the day, the big science was, was Greek and Roman philosophy, and there are a group of people that decided to try and put that and stick that together with Christianity, and you can meet them at the local Catholic church. And the, the results of that, people have been trying to do this for millennia. That was big stuff back in the day. Everyone who was anyone, all the smart guys knew that that stuff really mattered, so they wanted to find a way to get Christianity to hybridize with that. And by the time you were done, it's not Christianity. It never is. And that happens today when you do the same thing with science. Read verse 21. Paul actually describes exactly how it ends. Look down in verse 21. And oppositions of science, falsely so called, which some professing have erred concerning the faith. That is exactly what happens every time. You can't do that. Now, there is no opposition between what we see in nature and what the Bible teaches us, none. But if you would put it with the science of this world and what it claims... It will not be Christianity before you are done. Put not your faith in science, falsely so-called. One day we stand before God, brethren, and there will be no extended scientific discussions in that day. It will all be decided on the basis of faith and obedience. This matters. This drives our whole life here on earth. God has given us Jesus Christ. God has given us the Holy Spirit. God has committed unto us the gospel of Jesus Put not your faith in science, but in the words of him who cannot lie. Let's pray. We give you thanks, our Lord and our God, for all that you have provided us with. Lord, we are grateful for every blessing, every good gift that comes down from you, the Father of light. Lord, we're grateful for the level of understanding that you have provided us in, in our society, for the technologies that help our bodies and bless us. But Lord God, we would worship the Creator and not the created. So Father God, we pray that you would help us tonight uh, as we come to pray. Uh, Lord, show us uh, through your spirit what we ought to ask. Lord, we ask that you would help us this week as we go out, that we would take that which you have committed to our trust, the message of salvation through your Son, and that we would teach it to others, Lord. Give us an opportunity this week to preach your gospel, we pray in Jesus' precious name. Amen.